Well, it is a pleasure and a privilege to be with you all this morning. I want to thank Ashley and Lowell, your whole team, for your kindness and your hospitality and inviting me to be a part of what God is doing here just for a brief moment. And, you know, some of y'all may not believe in miracles, but you're about to see one today. You're going to see a black preacher preach for under 25 minutes. <laughs> that is a miracle. Uh, but I, I pray it's a miracle, y'all. Pray it's a miracle. True story. One time I was preaching at a church and I was looking at the clock in the back and it was broken. And I was like, oh, I got lots of time. And the people were falling over in the chairs. It was, we're not going to do that today, okay? I want to invite you to join me for our second lesson this morning from the book of Acts, chapter 2. And I'll begin reading at verse 14a. This is God's word. Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the pathways of life, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. This is the word of the Lord. If you would, please join me in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we praise you this morning for your kindness to us, for your hospitality to us in the gospel, for your faithfulness to us. Lord, I thank you that you delight to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. Lord, I thank you. We join together and lift our thanks that you're the God who takes five loaves and two fish and you bless it and you make it nourishment for many. And we ask that you would do that this morning. Lord, would you speak to your people? Would you be the true preacher in here this morning who gets the word through to your people to encourage, to bless, to humble, to instruct, to rescue and redeem. We ask that you would do this for your glory and that we would get the joy. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Every Christmas, my parents buy our four children tons of toys. And every Christmas, the same situation happens. We have a bunch of toys that require AA batteries, but all we have are AAA batteries. And Every year, the same thing happens. I look at the toys and I say, 
I'll bet I could get the AAA batteries to work in that AA item. Now, I know good and well it's not going to work, but there's something in me that is determined to try and get these toys to work on a power source they were never meant to work off of. And in many ways, I think that this is the way that our hearts work. This is the way that we often live our lives. Because every person in this room has been given a multitude of gifts. And all of those gifts require a certain kind of power in order to reach their fullness. Everyone in here has been given gifts. And the abundant life that we were meant to live, the callings we were meant to express, every relationship we were meant to cultivate, every good endeavor we were called to engage, require the spiritual power of God. You need the power of God in order to be faithful in your marriage. You need the power of God to raise children faithfully. You need the power of God to be the kind of neighbor that God has called you to be. But so often, we try to live double-A lives off of triple-A power. We try to fulfill double-A callings out of triple-A power. We resort to all different kinds of other power sources. For example, some of us try to live our lives on intellectual power. But pretty soon, we realize that we're not smart enough to achieve the kind of abundance that God has intended for our lives. Some of us try to move forward on mere willpower. But soon we realize that we're not determined enough to get the kind of flourishing that we really long for in life. And some of us try to live our lives out of financial power. But we soon come to realize that you can't spend your way into the kind of flourishing that you really long for. The question that I want you to think about today is this. On what kind of power source are you trying to run your life? Our text for today introduces us to the spiritual power of God. This is the reference of our lectionary text out of Acts 2. It exposes us to the power that God pours out on his church after the resurrection, after the ascension. God then gives this endowment to his people so that they can live into the life that he's called them to live. Now, I know that a lot of people today talk about being spiritual, but not religious. And if we look around at our country and our communities, we see that there are also many people who are religious, but not spiritual. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to explore what it is that shapes Christian spirituality. Because spirituality, according to the Christian framework, is not some vague, ethereal, privatized, kind of cafeteria-style thing. Christian spirituality is defined, it's powerful, it's transformative, and it's personal because it deals with a person. So we're going to approach this text through two points. Here's the trick of preaching short sermons. You know, you lose the three points. Just go two points, all right? It's my special trick. Here are our two points for this morning. We're going to consider spiritual animation and spiritual participation. So let's consider our first point. Spiritual animation. At the very beginning of Acts chapter 2, we are given a, a context, a setting. And it tells us in that text when the day of Pentecost arrived. There's a reference that's going on here on the day of Pentecost. And it takes us back to this celebration that Israel engaged in 
50 days after Passover. And what they would do in this celebration is they would bring the first fruits of their grain harvest. And they would bring it in before the Lord and they would do a wave offering. And in doing that wave offering, what they were saying is this. We believe, we are trusting that this is just the beginning of all that God is going to do. There is a greater harvest to come. And in addition, Pentecost was also associated with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And if you think about what happened, here's what happened. Israel is freed from Exodus. They're freed from Exodus, and then they come to the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses ascends Mount Sinai. And then he comes back down with the law, the organizing principle that is going to govern God's people, God's ethic for his people. It comes down to them. Do you see what this association is doing in the book of Acts, chapter 2? When the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, it, it, what we see happening is, is it's like the, 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 the people are saying, we believe that this is just the beginning of the greater harvest that is to come. And not only that, there is this reference back because the one who is greater than Moses... In his ascension, he goes up. But what comes back down is not a new law. It's God's Spirit who comes to organize and animate God's community. He pours out his Spirit and his power. And already in the text of Acts chapter 2, we see the beginnings of the harvest as 120 people praying in a room becomes 3,000 people on that very day. And not only do they see a harvest of converts, what you're going to see through the rest of the story of Acts is that that harvest has even greater and more beautiful fruit than mere conversion. When you get to Acts chapter 6, you're going to see that the church experiences a harvest of righteousness and justice. When the Hellenist widows are left out of the daily offering. Not only does the power of the Spirit enable the apostles and the leaders of the early church to hear the complaints of the marginalized, but they also receive the spiritual power to do something about it. They actually bring the outsiders, the marginalized of their community, into positions of leadership so that they can make sure that they're addressing the justice issue properly. And not only do we see a harvest of righteousness and justice through the rest of the book of Acts, we also see a harvest of cross-cultural love and mission because the Holy Spirit pushes the church deeper and deeper into the vision that God has for his multifaceted, diverse community. They don't want to really leave Jerusalem, but God pushes them, and pretty soon the gospel's in Samaria. Then the gospel goes to a, a black African, an Ethiopian eunuch, and then the greatest enemy of the Christian faith becomes its greatest advocate, and then it goes to the ends of the earth. That's what we see happening in the harvest that comes about as a result of the outpouring of the Spirit. But if we want to get more into the contours of Christian spirituality, we have to understand what's happening in the document itself that's called the book of Acts. Acts is just the second volume of one greater work by Luke. First is his gospel, then is the book of Acts. And there is this, this unity in those books. And here's what's happening. 
in the Gospel of Luke, we see this framing of Jesus Christ as a man of the Spirit. And then what happens in the book of Acts is we see the Spirit of Jesus is poured out on the church so that the church can continue the ministry of Jesus in his name. But let's consider very quickly how Luke portrays Jesus in his gospel. How does Luke show us what Christian spirituality looks like? How does Luke show us what life looks like when the Holy Spirit is at work in a people? We have to start with what he says about Jesus. Look at how Luke frames Jesus up. His physical body was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and rests on him at his baptism. Luke tells us that Jesus was full of the Spirit, and then he's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness in order to defeat temptation of Satan. Then he returns in the power of the Spirit. He goes to the synagogue, and when he preaches his very first sermon, this is what he says in the synagogue in his first sermon. Opening the Isaiah scroll, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you see the contours? Jesus Christ was above all a man of the Spirit, and his ministry was a partnership with the Holy Spirit, when he healed the sick, when he exercised demons, when he showed mercy, when he cleansed lepers, when he did justice, when he resisted temptation, when he prayed to the Father, when he worshipped God, when he befriended sinners, when he sacrificed his life, and when he rose from the dead, Jesus was a man of the Spirit. And by the power of the Spirit, Jesus Christ was everything that human beings were always meant to be. This is the power of the Spirit. And this is Christian spirituality. And Jesus is at the center of it as redeemer and example. And this is, this is where the outpouring of the Spirit becomes exciting for us and transformative for us. Because the Spirit shows up in our lives carrying luggage, as it were. Those 33 years that he spent with the incarnate son. And when he comes into our lives, he unpacks that luggage. And he says, let me unpack some of the righteousness and justice of Jesus in the lives of my people. Let me unpack my mercy and my patience in the lives of my people. It's as if throughout the, the earthly life of Jesus, it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, I can't wait to unpack all of this fullness in the lives of our people. I can't wait to see them love people like Jesus loves people. I can't wait to see them serve people like Jesus serves people. I can't wait to see them push back the darkness and bring justice like Jesus pushed back the darkness and brought justice. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives to clone in us the heart of Jesus. That's His work. He wants to strike you with the beauty and the majesty and the goodness and the faithfulness of Jesus so that being formed by that life of Christ and that love of Christ and that mercy of Christ, you go out and do likewise. You go out and bear witness to a kingdom that has no end. That is what the Spirit does. 
The Spirit wants you to love Jesus like He loves Jesus. The Spirit wants you to love the Father like He loves the Father. And the Spirit wants you to love your neighbors like He loves your neighbors. This is how the Spirit animates us. But let's talk about the participation dynamic that we see working out, bringing us to our second point, spiritual participation. Now, earlier in Acts, what you see is when the Spirit is poured out, God's people start speaking in different languages. And what the report that comes back from their neighbors is this. We hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own language. Now, in the church, a lot of people spend most of their time in discussions about the Spirit wrangling about whether certain gifts still exist. Can miracles and miraculous gifts and miraculous healings, are these things still existent? That's often the kind of dialogue that Acts chapter 2 inspires. And there is a place for those conversations. But if you get up to the 30,000 foot view, I just want you to see something very simple, but I think profound. And it's this. When the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, the church is given the grace of translational power. The church is enabled to translate the story of Jesus to their neighbors in a way that's not only accessible, but resonant. That is what the Spirit is working out in the lives of God's people, in the life of the church. Because here's the reality. If we look around northwest Arkansas, there are all kinds of subcultures that need the gospel to be translated into their cultural vernacular. And what the Spirit helps us to do is to understand the contours of the gospel and to understand the contours of the different lives that are represented in our places. The different people, their meaning makers, their, their important cultural artifacts. To understand the things that shape their understanding of the world. And to understand how we can see a meeting between the gospel and the core concerns, the pressing issues and needs of our neighbors. Some of our neighbors need to hear that gospel of freedom. Because they think that the Christian life is all about performance. There are contours of the gospel to set them free. Some of our neighbors need to understand how the gospel creates justice, creates a just community, a beloved community. Because they are struggling to believe anything relative to the Christian faith because this one core concern has been left unaddressed. And so one of the ways that we respond to the Spirit's work in our lives and in our communities is to begin to think about how the Lord might use us to translate the gospel for our neighbors in a way that is not just intelligible and accessible, but resonant, resonant in their lives. Do you see the importance of the Spirit? The Spirit is the one who helps us to gain access to the riches of Christ. I'll put it to you this way. Have y'all read the story about the man? Uh, he, he bought into Bitcoin when it was at $2 per coin. Bitcoin went to $35,000 a coin. This man had hundreds of millions of dollars in his account. 
but he forgot his password. And he can't figure out to this day, he has not figured out how to get, he has hundreds of millions of dollars and he can't access it. Here's the deal, without the Holy Spirit, we don't have access to the riches of Christ. When he comes though, we have access to the full wealth of Christ and his gospel. We become rich through the outpouring of the Spirit who works that into our lives. Acts chapter 2 is a mirror reversal of Babel. You remember the Babel episode? The people get together on their self-salvation project and they try to build a tower up to the heavens. Because, you know, after all, they don't really need anyone to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. They can do that themselves. But God, the text says, comes down and he judges the wicked conglomerate by scattering them through the language difficulty. What Acts 2 is, following the ascent of the righteous one, God comes down as in, the Holy Spirit comes down and brings people back together in that linguistic difference so that they can go out in his mission, so that they can go out and serve their neighbors. There is nothing more urgent in the Christian life than walking by the Spirit. Acts chapter 2 is not just an interesting historical artifact about the, the, the Christian church. This is the very power that's available to you and I today. It takes power from God to deny yourself for the benefit of others. It takes the power of God to remain resilient when you are fighting for what is good and you are being ridiculed and reviled for it. It takes this power to live into this life that we are called to by Jesus. But last thing I want to say, I think the miracle is going to happen, y'all. Last thing I want to say is this. The spiritual power of God is not magical. It's liturgical, okay? And what I mean is this. A lot of people in American Christianity, they, they want to get a zap. They want to go to a conference. They want to lift their hands. Oh, I felt it. I felt it. Oh, thank you. Like, and like, that's what changed. That's it. All of my problems are solved. I got a quick microwave zap from heaven, and now my life is what it should be. That's not exactly how the Christian life works at all. You know how the Christian life works? In the slow, ordinary, mundane moments in which we are formed by God, formed by his word, formed by worship, formed by community, and formed as we go out in Jesus' name to serve. And so you don't need some kind of special insight in order to grow in this grace and to live in the power of the Spirit. He will change us, right? And it's important. God doesn't love you because you change. God will change you because he loves you. And the proof of that is the outpouring of the Spirit. And one of the evidences that we are actually living in the power of the Spirit is the mundane, ordinary work of prayer. That's how you know that you're not trying to live your life out of intellectual power or willpower or financial power. If your first instinct is to say, Lord, I need you. Would you help me? Would you give me wisdom? 
But not only that, I love the wisdom of Benedict. Ora et labora, work and pray. To put it in the words of Frederick Douglass, I tried to escape. He says, he says I tried praying for, for freedom, release from slavery. He said, but nothing happened until I prayed with my feet. And you can look at any issue in northwest Arkansas, and you can say, nothing's going to happen until y'all pray with your feet. You put your prayers into action, and you ask the Lord to bless your efforts to heal the wounds, to address the issues, to be a fearless, courageous church that is bringing the light into the darkness. And guess what? Darkness has not defeated light not one time. You turn all the lights out, if the sun goes out, <laughs> the darkness cannot extinguish this flame. In the same way, the powers of hell will not prevail against a church that is living in the power of the Spirit. So let us participate in God's mission, relying upon God's power to accomplish God's ends. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and praise this morning for teaching your people through your word, for giving us the hope of glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for pouring out your spirit on us, Jesus. We thank you for that accessibility that you have given us to yourself. And we ask, Lord, that we would live in that power. Would you help us to live in the power of the spirit? Would you help us to receive your love afresh every day? Lord, we believe but help our unbelief. We look out, there are so many things we want to do for the sake of your kingdom. There are so many wrongs and ills that we want to address, but Lord, we confess that we grow weary at times even thinking about how we're going to do that. But we pray, Lord, that you would remind us that your power is available to us and that we need not fear because you are with us. So bless the work and the ministry and the mission of Christ the King. Fill these your people with your spirit, and encourage them as they continue to press on in faith and hope and love. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.